0: Hello, good to see you all here as well. We are in the middle of a series called Through God's Eyes, where we're looking at from the book of Jonah, which is an Old Testament book um, about the life of a man. Really, a lot of the books, a lot of the Old Testament books that are prophet books, um, Jonah's a prophet of the Lord, focus on the message of the prophet, um, but this one actually focuses on the man himself, just what he was doing or not doing really and, and so it really traces his own experience as a messenger of God and so last week we began this series and really looking at just how different our perspective is on life than God's perspective we know this obviously but God views he views things far differently than we do the way he views people the way he views circumstances the way he just views the world and the purpose of the earth that he's created, he just sees things far different than, than you and I do. And so last week, we, we started by looking at Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2. The book of Jonah has four chapters, really short book, easy to read. It's kind of a fun book to read because it's very unusual um, in the storyline. So Jonah chapter 1 and 2, you see Jonah the prophet is told to go preach a message um, of repentance, which means to turn around. To a group of people called the Ninevites. The Ninevites were the enemies of Israel in the north, and they were, um, it was the, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. A very cruel city, um, very cruel group of people, very violent group of people, and so he wanted to have nothing to do with them. He didn't want to deliver a message of repentance because he didn't want to see that group repent. He would rather that, like, the mountains just fall in and crush the city, and so he, he really did you know what? Maybe many of us would do, which is relate to people more like us and just to interact with people more like us. So he hops on a boat and decides he's going to get as far away from, you know, that city as possible. He hops on a boat, and really, in his rebellion, the Lord caused a set of circumstances to get Jonah's attention. The first thing was he caused a storm, this wild storm, to to come upon the, the sea, and the storm just kicked up the sea the boat and everything was about to you know go under and the sailors are throwing things over praying to different gods and eventually they realize Jonah is on board they find out he's running from god and that and he needs to go. Jonah actually says he volunteers some information says throw me over and this thing's probably going to go away. Sure enough, they they toss Jonah overboard, the sea calms down because this was the lord in charge of this whole experience and he's drowning Jonah is sinking down, and he's drowning. Later on, after this whole experience is over, he writes down um, the prayer that he was praying while he's dying, basically, which is, God help. He's just like, I've called to the Lord, and, and he saved me. And he's sinking down to the depths of the ocean, or the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And God basically answers his call through sending a giant fish, some great fish. We don't know what it was. Was it a whale? Was it a shark? Was it a killer shark? I don't know. I don't even know what swims in those waters out there. Was it gray? Was it blue? I don't really know. Was it giant? Yes. It had to have been big enough to, to swallow a man, you know, and not just like grind him through the teeth. I mean, big enough, you know. And so Jonah receives God's grace. That was actually a picture of God's grace. He needed help. He didn't deserve it. And God sends him help at the point when he really needed it. He was desperate for it. And then, it's interesting, he does this, but he's also the person that does not want to go and share God's grace with a group of people who also needed help, the Ninevites. So, for him, it was easier, and for most of us, it's far easier to receive grace than it is to extend grace. I want God's grace. I want God's mercy. But when I'm asked to give that to other people who are hard to love or hard to relate to, that's really sometimes where we draw the line. And so that's what we looked at last week. How he had a very small strike zone as far as who he was willing to relate to. And God pushed him out into, out past his comfort level. Um, so at the end of Jonah chapter 2, you know, Jonah prays this prayer It says that God answered. And then eventually God caused or God commanded the fish to vomit Jonah back onto dry land. So that's where we kind of left off. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? I was at the beach this past week, and, you know, a lot of crazy things you see on the beach. But this would have topped it all. You know, you're just standing there, or, you know, you're sitting on the beach, or boogie boarding, or whatever, you know, whatever you do at the beach, and out comes this creature, and just, you know, throws up this man, comes flying out, cleans himself off, and just walks off, because he knows exactly what has gone on, you know. And what would that have smelled like, you know? I am just thinking about the details of how that must have went down. Anyway, brings us to chapter three. Raises an interesting set of issues in chapter three. Um, some of the issues are, are these: first, why is it that some people seem to just flat out reject the message of faith when they hear about Christ? Why is it some people just totally reject that flat out? And why is it that some people embrace it wholeheartedly? You know, some, you notice I've noticed this about certain people. They hear about Jesus and what he's done on the cross and the offer of forgiveness. And some people are like, I want that and I'm going to live for him. And they just embrace it wholeheartedly. Others are like, eh, I'm not interested in that. And they, they don't even turn an eye to really investigate it very, very clearly. Why is that? That's one of the issues that is raised in Jonah chapter 3. Another question is, when people really experience life change, How does that happen? Like, what's the process involved in God turning someone's life around? What does that process really look like? What's happening in that moment? And what happened in the past leading up to that point? And then another question is, what's God's part of the process and what's my part? How much is God's part? How much is my part of the process of life change? Um, I don't know if you've ever asked those questions, but Jonah chapter 3 really raises some critical issues. And it's important that we understand these issues. Otherwise, we end up falling into very extreme thinking. First, we could think over on one side that everybody's just ready to hear my message. Like Jonah, for example, he's the prophet. He's supposed to go share a message to the people of Nineveh. Um, you know, you could... We all have a message that we could share with others about our hope in Christ for those of us that follow him. And we could think... Everybody else is ready to hear this everyone who wants to hear this and so every conversation we could share it you know every time we open our mouth we could tell people about our faith in Jesus or maybe your thinking might be I'm not going to have a conversation with a person without bringing him up and then over time you realize now why is it that people are really avoiding me why is it people are always keeping their distance from me there, there's an extreme of everybody's ready and they need to hear it and then there's also another extreme of nobody's ready and nobody wants to hear it And so I'm just going to keep my faith to myself. And if God wants to reach him, he could do it. He doesn't need me anyway. And so, answering the questions, of you know, or dealing with these issues in Jonah chapter three helps put in a perspective where we're supposed to fit in this whole sharing process. Where do I fit? So let's take a look at this at this together. Jonah chapter three. It says, "Then the word then the word of the Lord came to Jonah." A second time. Remember the first time. It didn't go very well for Jonah. And so this was Jonah's commission take two. Okay, Verse two says, Go to that great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. As you'd see in, in chapter four, it's true that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. He obeyed and he went, but his heart wasn't in it. He went and delivered the message, but he really didn't care about the people that he was sharing with. He really hoped the worst for the people in Nineveh. So it's like, if you can put yourself in Jonah's shoes for a moment, he was just doing, he was discharging his duty. Okay? He obeyed and he went, but his heart wasn't in it. He secretly wanted this group of people to pay for the crimes that they'd committed. Because this was a very, very cruel group of people. Now it says this, now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. This was a large city. By ancient standards, it, it was. Archaeologists have uncovered the walls around Nineveh. They stretched seven miles, enough space to fit the 120,000 inhabitants that Jonah, um, the book Jonah says, lived there. And so it was a large, large city. This was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Verse 4 says, On the first day, he gets into the city. Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh. Will be overturned. Now, he probably delivered this message with the passion and the conviction of a person reading an eye chart at the eye doctor. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. I mean, his heart wasn't in it. He just, he's delivering this message. Chapter 4 really gets into the fact that he didn't care about this group of people. And so, don't have the impression that, oh, he just obeyed him and he went and he's given this great message and really appealing to their ears. No, he's just, he's just discharging his duty. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. <laughs> you know, he's just discharging his duty. Real boring. Yet, look at their response. The response is, is pretty shocking. The Ninevites, they believed God. <laughs> Meaning, this is the key, this, this word belief, it's actually a word that's used many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The idea, it captures, put their trust in, captures the idea of put their trust in God. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That was the traditional symbol of mourning. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth. That's like a burlap fabric. And he sat down in the dust. So he basically sheds his royal clothes and becomes like everyone else. Everyone takes off. There's like no distinguishing features. Everyone's just humbling themselves, putting on sackcloth in their brokenness, in their mourning. And then it says... They sat down in the dust. Now, this had to have completely taken Jonah by surprise. He probably, you know, expected to get beaten up, roughed up at least, you know. Here he is, a Jew carrying a message about a God that the Ninevites didn't believe in and that they certainly didn't worship. And you have to ask yourself, why would his preaching have any impact on this group of people at all? How is it that these people decided to put their trust in God? Here's why. It's in the middle. You're listening, God. If you like, follow along on that. Some people are primed for repentance. Some people you find out are primed or prepared for repentance. God is preparing some people to turn their lives over to Him. To prime something means to make it ready for use or to make it ready for its particular purpose. Usually, if you've ever painted, has anybody ever painted? And not used primer, and then later wished you had used primer. Maybe not. I, I have. I've thought I've thought before, like ah, I probably can get away with it. So it's all paint a room. You know, it takes time to paint a room. You paint a room, the sm- slightest thing scratches the wall and pff, peels the paint. Right? It just didn't. It doesn't really stick quite like it could. When you prime something, even though it's a painful step because it takes time and it just like it feels like a waste. It seals in the stains. It just seals in what was there. And it and it allows the new fresh paint to really stick and adhere. And in the same way, God has primed some people for responding to him, for turning their lives to him, to where when they hear the message, man, it sticks. It's ready to, to really turn a life around. Now, this isn't the case for everyone. So some people are primed. And this group of people in Nineveh, at this point, God had primed them for repentance. History actually reveals there was three events that may have prepared this group of people from really receiving the message. The first thing is there was this full total eclipse of the sun, which was a horrifying omen. And so they were afraid. And secondly, you find out that there was this group of, of tribes that had joined forces in the desert to attack. And they were they were heading towards Nineveh, a hundred miles from them. And so the Ninevites were also nervous that they were going to be under attack. And then the city had, within five years before this, had suffered two plagues that had killed large numbers of people. And so when a prophet of Israel, their former enemy, comes and begins to proclaim a message of impending doom, they were ready to listen. They knew something was going down. And so they were, just, they were prepared, and they, in their brokenness, responded to God. But nobody, especially Jonah, expected this. Nobody expected widespread revival to break out. And that's really what happened was there was just widespread change. People turned around. I'm sure Jonah expected a real violent reaction, not revival. And he he certainly wasn't excited about their response. Then to top things off, the king, he issued a citywide fast and called a prayer. Again, this is just unheard of. We would never expect the President of the United States, we would never expect presidents of countries to issue a fast, a call to fast and prayer. That just sounds unheard of. Look at what it actually reads. The king issued a proclamation to Nineveh, and it said this, By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. So that's the details of the fast. Not one drop of water, Not one bite of food. Complete fast. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Interesting. Not just the fast of the people, but they they didn't even let the animals eat. Everybody. This was like, hey, we're all in. The king understood how urgent and how critical their situation was that everyone, every living creature was involved in the fast. And the sackcloth. They even put sackcloth on animals. Like, you know we we're, we're all we're all in this we're broken and so is my little so are my animals in a sense you, you see a picture of total and complete brokenness and then it says this let everyone call urgently on god let them give up their evil ways and their violence Again, this group had perfected torture i mentioned this last week i didn't say what they were known for but they were known for dismembering and disfiguring their enemies they would boil people in oil. They would skin people alive. They would impale people's bodies up on stakes, propping outside their city, kind of as a warning to intruders. This was a violent, wicked group of people. And so it was no mystery to the king of Nineveh that they were under judgment, <laughs> and that they were in trouble. And so then in verse 9 he says this, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from its fierce anger, so that we will not perish. Who knows? Maybe it's not too late. I I love this phrase, who knows, because I can identify with that. Like, when I'm off doing my own thing, before I knew Christ, it was like, it hit a point where it was like, who knows, maybe it's not too late for me. Maybe it's, and many people actually wrestle with that question. Who knows? Maybe there's still time for me to turn my life around. He's saying, look, let's get serious and call out to God, just as God. And then verse, you know, when God saw their actual heart change, when He saw their heart change, He withheld the destruction that He had threatened. Verse ten reads this: When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, says He had compassion; He did not bring upon them the destruction that He had threatened. Just as God had spared Jonah from death, now He spared the Ninevites from destruction. And their their repentance was apparently, for this season, genuine. So God spared their lives. Unfortunately, eventually the people of Nineveh, history tells us that the people of Nineveh eventually fell back into sin and old patterns and they were completely destroyed in 612 B.C. But, for this season, we see the merciful hand of God holding back His judgment. We see Him holding back the destruction. You might be able to identify with the king in some way maybe it's that who knows maybe it's not too late for me or for us uh, but what you see in this passage is there's this process in the backdrop god has done something beforehand to get this group of people ready for the message and i want to look at that process because in the new testament we see this taught very clearly that that god is doing something behind the scenes and has done something behind the scenes that leads us to a point of, of response. So I want to look at Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He teaches on the process of life change really briefly. It says this, Romans 8, 28 reads, "...and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose." All things this involves... For, now the qualifier is for those, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose... All the things that, for those of you who, who you, you're in a relationship with God, all the things in your life, the good, the bad, the tragic, the unexpected, God can use those things, and somehow he uses those things to bring good. Somehow he, he can answer the questions that we have for good. To those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. But then he says in verse 29, here's this process. He walks us through this process of what God has done. Before our lives really are changed. And I'm going to read it and then I'm going to go back and explain it. It says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Then it says in verse 30, And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. If you can back up to verse 29... It says, for those God foreknew. This doesn't simply mean that God knows everything I'm going to do before I do it. It doesn't just mean that. It doesn't mean that he knows what I'm going to do ahead of time. God's foreknowledge has to do with the fact that he foreknew us in an intimate relationship sense. Not in an intimate sense, like you might think of intimacy and start blushing, but in a, in a close personal relationship sense. He, had, he foreknew those of us who would turn our hearts Over to him. He foreknew us. Actually, it goes further and it says, this happened long before you were ever created, actually. He also, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. The entire group that he has this close relationship with were a part of his eternal plan and his divine foreknowledge. Things before even the world was created, God foreknew and predestined. The word predestined literally means predetermined. And it says, He predetermined or predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus, what He's saying is that we're being shaped. God's plan from eternity past was to shape us to be conformed into the image of His Son. Our goal is to be like Christ. We see the intended shape of our lives through Jesus. When we look at what He did and the way He lived, We see God's intended shape of our own lives. And then in verse 30, it says, those he predestined, he also called. At a certain point, God calls us. He gets our attention. He gets our attention in some way. But he does this at the heart level. If you've ever responded to God, then you've responded to his call. He he got your attention at the heart level to where you had this undeniable sense that God was trying to Invite you to a relationship with Him. It might have been this still, small voice. Or it might have been a loud megaphone. And He's just undeniably trying to get your attention. And I don't know what that is for you, but the call of God on your life is a undeniable. God is trying to get my attention to begin a relationship with Him. He's initiated this. Again, for, go, for those God foreknew, He predestined those He predestined. He called and it continues and He says, well, notice in calling... It does not say about God's call that there is, there's no mention of being born into the right family. There's no mention of inheriting the faith of your mom or dad. There's no mention of you just get to borrow. My parents were good Christian parents, but I didn't get to borrow the faith of my parents. God calls individuals that have to respond as individuals to his call at a certain point. But then it goes on and says those he called he also justified. Justified means to make right with God or to reconcile. Something was broken and now it's been reconciled. Now that justification, that point of being justified, happens at the point of faith. Whenever you invite Christ to be the Lord of your life, whenever you receive Him as Savior and Lord, that's the point where you're justified. And then it says, those He justified, He also glorified. Glorified has to do with heaven being brought into our final glory, our eternal place With him, So he takes this whole train of thought and he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestines those he's predestined. He calls those he calls, he justifies those he justified, he glorifies. What you see is there's these steps in this process of life change. And in this process, not a single person is lost. Not a single person is missed that God chooses. God completes his plan without slipping up on it. Look at verse 31. This is why Paul lands on verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, this whole plan of God preparing us to repent and to turn around and to do life His way and no longer our way is something that God has initiated. And most of us just think this. We think, all I know is I was going my way in life and then God got my attention and now here I am. And I mean that's pretty it's a pretty simple and you at least need to understand that much. I was going my way, God turned my life towards him, he got my attention, and here I am but behind that there's this backdrop of things that happened in eternity past it's not just look at what I did but really it's look at what God has done and what he has planned in his divine plan and foreknowledge here's a quick summary of the process. the process goes like this you have this step of he foreknew and predestined. That's this. that happened in eternity past. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Great verses to flesh this out further. They actually tell us that all of this occurred before God even created the world. He already had in his mind worked out his plan for our lives. For those of us who would be called, he'd, he'd already planned, you know, that was eternity past. Then he calls those that he foreknew and predestined says he calls. That's the recent past or or maybe current. If you've not yet decided to respond to his invitation, then maybe for you this is where you're at. Currently, you just feel like, wow, God's really calling to me to begin a relationship with him. Or if you've already responded to that and you are a follower of his, then that's maybe recent past, maybe a few years ago, maybe ten years ago, maybe longer. But you can probably pinpoint seasons of your life where you can see God's call. Like you could see, wow, I could really sense God was trying to get my attention through these times, through these seasons. In this, you know, but I encourage you, think about where are you at in this process? Or then, then it says, then he justified. That happens at the point of receiving faith. This is when our, our penalty for our sin is paid for. At the point I, I invite Christ to save me and be Lord of my life, I'm justified. I'm made right with him. I'm reconciled Romans 10, 9 and 10 reads that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So it's at the point of faith where this begins. And then verse 4, I'm sorry, where it's, it's, it's nailed down. It, it's at the point of faith where it's nailed down. That's where justification happens. And then 4th, glorified, that's that's future for all eternity. Part of the process. It's part of God's process for total life change. But it, for us, who are sitting here at least, it's future. This is a future thing for those of us who will spend eternity with Christ. Now some people that we know, and you probably know, are actually experiencing this. They passed on. They left this life they stepped into eternity. And they've experienced that glorified state where there is no presence of sin any longer. See, for those of us who've been justified, but who are still alive. Sin is still here. We're still dealing with it and its power, but it's losing its grip on us. For those of us who've been justified, who've actually received faith, the penalty of sin has been paid for. You're justified. But now the power of sin is its losing its grip on us as we're made and being conformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. It's astounding to realize that God's plan for salvation reaches from eternity past and on into eternity future, and that God will carry it out perfectly. He'll carry this out perfectly. When we look at things from His eyes, and when we understand how He views things, and what it does is it gives us confidence in our current role. Think back to Jonah. If he had understood this about God... And it's like all of a sudden he has an aha moment in the next chapter, you'll see it. But if he had understood this, then he would have possibly delivered his message in a different way. So I want to encourage you, be confident when you share the good news. Be confident. Because you don't have to be an amazing speaker, you don't have to know all the answers, you don't have to know everything. You do need to know some things. I want to encourage you, don't just sit on the sidelines of your faith and to be, and to be lazy about your faith and understanding what you possess. And the message that, that you that you bear, understand it, understand how to share it, but you don 't have to be amazing at it, but you can be confident knowing that God is behind he's you know behind the scenes working he has been working on people. look at this promise romans ten thirteen everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in see this is saying if people if god's calling people and then they're going to respond to that call, it requires that they hear the message. Can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, it's just not talking about the guys that are pastors that preach weekly. This is really, this is the church's job. Verse 15, how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The church, we're the messengers. We bear a message like Jonah. Jonah. Here's some final, just some guidance as far as praying. Praying for people that you're sharing with. Colossians 4 gives really helpful stuff. Pray and pay attention. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pay attention to what God is doing in the people around you. Pay attention to trouble. Pay attention to to challenges and circumstances that people are facing. Do you see God may be priming or preparing people to turn their lives to Him? Pay attention. Pray with a watchful eye. And secondly, pray for closed places and people to open up. You might think, man, they are so beyond reach. Well, just pray that God would open people's hearts up. Look at what he says in verse 3. Pray for us too, Paul says, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So pray for people by name. Pray for and be faithful to pray for them. And then third, pray that I share clearly. That's verse four. Paul says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, just as I should. Get clear on how you were saved. And how you are being saved. Like what, what exactly is happening? What has happened in the eternity past? Understand what God has done and understand what He's currently doing. Be sure that what you're sharing is accurate. That it's you know that you're sharing that people can be saved not by their own works. It's not about what they can do, but it's about what God has already done in the person of Jesus. That they're saved by His grace. They receive that through faith. It's undeserved. And then fourth, pray that my words and my life match up. Pray that there's this clear connection between what I say and how I live. Verse 5 and 6 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is not a call to perfection. So don't think, man, I blew it and I'm, I'm of no use. This is a call that, generally speaking, your words and your life ought to match up. If what you're saying needs to generally match what you do, how you live. People are on God's heart. They need to be on our heart as well. God just, from his viewpoint, he loves the people that he's made. I want to share with you one final quote and then we're going to invite the band to come up now and Look at this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He's a famous British preacher. This is a little bit uh, dated language, but you can track with it. It says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. It's just saying, we, we can't just sit, sit innocently as people are lost and dying and have no hope. Basically, let's be in the game together. Spurgeon's challenging his church there to be involved in God's mission of helping people find the hope that they can have in Christ. Let's do our part as a church. You know, God is working, again, from eternity past. He's already been working. Some people are primed for repentance. Some people you share with are not going to respond. Some people you share with are going to respond. It's not because you were the best messenger, but you were faithful to share and God prepared them. It may have been years ago, but certainly in eternity past, he was in his divine plan, he was working. When you take out that white connection card on the back, you'll see there are these next steps in response to today. The first one says, Create a list, a prayer list, and be faithful to pray. Maybe that's something God's prompting you to do. Second, follow up on the ripe. What I mean by that is, some people just appear to be, you know, if you think about a fruit that's ready to fall off the tree, and you're like, man, you shake the tree and they just fall off, it's ripe. Some people, I have found, are just very ripe. They're ready to respond to God. And they just, they they may be waiting to hear more, or to have someone follow up and ask them a question, or to, or to help them to cross that line of faith as far as just, Leading them through what the scripture says of how to receive Christ and, and helping them clarify and counting the cost of, of, of that. But follow up on the ripe. And then third, invite a friend to OCC who has lost hope. Next week we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter four and it's a very hope filled chapter. You learn about God's heart of compassion and it's a very it's a great chapter of scripture. It'd be really helpful to people that are looking for hope. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just acknowledge before you that we do not deserve all that you have given to us. You've poured out your love to us in a way that is real. And we, so many of us have experienced your love in, in ways that we cannot, um, we couldn't have earned, we didn't deserve. And Lord, we just pray that we would live lives of gratitude, that we'd be faithful to the mission you've called us to to extend grace to people just as we've received your grace Lord help us to to do that faithfully help us not to just look at things from our perspective and to miss what is on your heart help us not to just build a life that is good for now and good for me but means nothing to you Lord I want our lives and I want my life and my family and I know our congregation Lord that we would be a people who we align our hearts with what is precious to you so Lord would you move in our hearts would you nudge us in the direction you're wanting us to move in this morning Lord challenge us in our practices in our scheduling in our relationships that we would have a heart for others Lord just as you do for those that are here that are investigating and searching, Lord, I pray that, that they would respond to your call in their lives, Lord, and they would experience brand new life. Lord, we love you. We thank you that your purpose and your plan cannot be messed up. It can't be thwarted, but that you will fulfill your purpose, Lord. And thank you that we can trust you. Help us to be faithful. Give us courage, God, to live this out. In Jesus' name, we also just pray your blessing over the offering as we receive our tithes and offering. We just thank you for how you've blessed and, and we're grateful, Lord, that you've provided in our lives, Lord. So we just ask that you'd help us to continue to steward weekly what you've entrusted to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.